Um, today, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, as usual, you can click on Events, Find Reservoir Church, and all of the scripture and notes should be there for you. I think the main scripture will be projected, but uh, that's it. So there it is. Look, look at that. So don't get your hopes up for anything else on the screen unless you have your phone. All right, the big idea for today is that the gospel is the plan of God, the God of grace for his glory and our good. So this gospel, this good news of Jesus that Paul has been proclaiming and inviting the church back to is actually the plan of this God of grace for his glory and our good. So hear the word of the Lord from Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. So I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is the Greek rendering of Paul, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Good and holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ministry of Paul and how you revealed yourself to him. And he received this news, this gospel, that he might preach it. So Gentiles would hear and so that we would hear in our day. Lord, as we turn to this text and um, look at it in such a way that helps us see how the gospel is sourced in you alone, may you bring us clarity in our minds and hearts as we live from the love that we have received in you in Christ. Lord, guide my words that I would speak with clarity and that I would be small, that Jesus would be big. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So the gospel is the plan of the God of grace for his glory and for our good. And those two things are tied together. It's important that we remember that. It's not just his glory, but his glory is our good. It's how we were created, what we're meant for, and what we're going to continue to pursue in this life together. But as I was studying this week, I was thinking about, it's just about 15 years ago now, I was serving uh, with the State Department in a detail in the embassy in Baghdad uh, during the 
I almost said occupation, but during the, the tensions there. And it was in that post that I had just a, a really dear friend who was there doing a much different job. She was an archaeologist, and her job was to help the Iraqi government pursue, or like preserve and then rescue antiquities that have been stolen because of the conflict in that country. It, beyond our work, though, we had opportunity for a lot of conversations about life and faith. And I often think back to that time in my life wishing that I had been more formed in Christ than I was at that time to be a better witness of him because surrounded by people that were looking for things of identity and what was truest of true things and to be able to witness in that space with a different clarity would have been so helpful but still in my immaturity the conversations were worthwhile and in that exchange, she would often, as many of my friends would in that season of life, just rebuff my assertions that you need to believe in Jesus uh, with this humanities education-inspired quote of Karl Marx. Where she would say, well, religion is just the opiate of the masses. Essentially created just to keep the working class subservient and numb to the oppression and hardship of life. It was just a scheme of those in power to control those that they had power over. And reflecting on many of our conversations and other conversations I've had since with others that are outside of the faith, when that statement comes up, the reality is that I tend to agree that man-made religion has surely been used to subdue and abuse other people. Even beyond classical definitions of religion, so many of the movements or political theories or mantras of humanity are just that that would fit the accusation of the opiate of the masses. So sure, religion is the opiate of the masses. Truth manipulated is spoiled and it corrupts. But Christianity is not that. It's not a man-made religion. And seeing the center of Christianity, the gospel, this good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, simply as a man-centered device, it absolutely misses the point of God's redemptive story that has been delivered to us through his word in all of history. Yes. Because this faith is different. It is a faith that is honest about brokenness, it's honest about pain, and it's honest about hope. And the only way that delivers forgiveness, identity, liberation, and a way of life that is actually vibrant and bold, that is secure and safe. And this is what Christianity has to offer the world. And churches in Galatia at this moment that Paul is writing were at risk of consuming just another opiate uh, of control as a man's gospel was infiltrating the church. Because some teachers came and they announced that there were actually people to please. There was behavior to mimic as a sure way to be saved. Like if you wanted to make sure you were saved, you had to obey in a certain way. And we have before us this letter, which is its purpose is to liberate the church from this false gospel and restore them to what was preached at first, the grace of of Jesus and forgiveness of sin in him. 
And Paul has already used his introduction to call the church back from the ledge, back to the only gospel that they had received at first. And in this section, he highlights for us the source of the gospel, the the reason it can be trusted because where it comes from. And he also reveals his purpose in light of the gospel, along with the results of living a life that is, as I would say, gospel. And he gets there by telling his own story, just where he's been, who he was. And the storyline of the troublemaking preachers from Jerusalem is that Paul had actually changed the gospel for his own benefit. That he has removed the necessity of following the Mosaic law, of following the diet, the calendar schedule, and the the acts of things like circumcision in order just to make people happy. So that's the argument that Paul's corrupted the faith because he's removed the requirement of certain things. And they have been preaching essentially then, opposite of Paul, this Jesus plus something gospel, which we know is no gospel at all. And so Paul has said essentially to those accusations, nope. I'm not a people pleaser, and we know that if they had knew who Paul actually was, that that would be true for them, that he is not living in such a way that he would be a mere people pleaser. And here he tells the story of how the gospel came to him and how he responded, which kept the message from being tainted by the distractions of human origin. Perhaps you know this story well, and as he tells it, He was, in his former life, advancing in Judaism beyond others of his own age. We can think of Paul as one of these Pharisees that essentially is like a Ph.D. in Judaism. Like he's got not only his bachelor's, he's got a couple masters, right, in uh, Mosaic law and ritual and even temple procedure. And then he's got his Ph.D. in knowing all things of Judaism, And so he's trusting in it. He says that he is zealous. He's passionate about the law and being obedient to it. And he's fully convinced in his former life that the way of salvation is these traditions. The following of the law, being perfect, was his only hope. The traditions were the way as he saw it. And so much so, like he's so convinced of this that he actually violently opposed this fledgling church church when it was birthed. He's trying to destroy it by having believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, murdered and imprisoned. Like this is the guy that they're accusing of not liking the law. And so if anyone is going to buy into the idea that you couldn't be a Christian if you failed to keep some portion of the law, it would be a person like Paul who was sure of following the law in his former life. But a former life it was. Because as he was traveling to persecute the church, Jesus met him. Many of us know this story from Acts 9. And this is how Luke tells the story. He says, but Saul... Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, those are followers of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Paul has this dramatic experience where he receives the truth of Christ. He is submitting to him. He's blinded in that moment. And then a saint delivers God's message to Paul as he lays in a bed in Damascus. And Paul knows from that moment that he is supposed to now preach this gospel that he once opposed. But knowing that, he doesn't run back to church headquarters for marching orders. He just gets alone with God. Goes away to Arabia, he tells us. And then he comes back to Damascus. And years before, he would just go to... This is happening years before he would go to Jerusalem to finally confer with Peter and James, just to confirm the gospel that he was going to preach. And then he receives their stamp of approval, and then off he went to preach and plant churches. So he said... The church in Judea around Jerusalem didn't even know who I was. They didn't know me by face. I wasn't present with them, but I was off preaching this gospel that I had received from the Lord. He'll keep, he'll keep telling later in chapter 2, as we'll see even next week, uh, the autobiography of his life as we progress in this letter. But here in the initial reception of the gospel we see its nature or its source. And then we'll see the purpose of a life that lives in light of it and then the result of the gospel. And so that's just going to be our map for this morning. And before we get into it, I want to make sure that we define gospel, this good news that we keep going on about. And it's essentially the truth that from the outset of humanity, sin has been an inherited trait for all of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so apart from Christ, we exist outside of the intention of creation, but God has bridged then uh, the divide and made a way for us to actually be in relationship with him. He sent his son, the God-man Jesus, that came to live perfect obedience in our place. He died on a cross, taking on the guilt for sin that we owned, and his blood shed is an atoning sacrifice, making things right before God once for all. And then to confirm that finished work, he rose from the grave, and his kingdom was launched through the birth of the church. Everything he declared, the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, is launched out from that birth of this church. Because of this truth, this gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done. And those that believe in him then have forgiveness of sin. They're made righteous, given salvation for all time, secure in him. And not because of anything we do or bring to the table, but simply because he loves us. He's claimed us. And Paul says that this good news was not of human origin didn't come from man. And this is the nature of the gospel. And he says in verses 15 and 16, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So the gospel, as Paul declares it here, is from God in grace for those chosen and called. Now, 
The source of the gospel is God. And this is vital for us. Like this wasn't just dreamed up like, oh, this will be a better way of religion for us. That Christianity is not a man-centered platform attempting to appease some far off God or strive for a way toward him. But this is God lowering himself to us to claim us. To bring redemption, to correct our wrong, and to reestablish what uh, creation was meant to be. And Paul here clues us in on how God relates to us. And I love it all through the first chapter. There's a couple points where he talks about God in his grace. It's important to realize that the gospel doesn't work differently for different people. If it works this way for Paul, this is how it unfolds for us, that God comes to us in grace. And you might not meet Jesus on the road to Temecula. I mean, more people would go to Temecula if you met Jesus on the road there. And you might, I mean, he, I'm not going to say he won't. But if that's not your experience, this truth of your salvation is the same as Paul's truth of salvation. Tim Keller says that grace is the free, unmerited favor of God working powerfully on the mind and heart to change lives. There's no clearer example than Paul that salvation is by grace alone, not through our moral or religious performance. So this is how God comes to us. And this truth wrecks this false teaching of Paul's day and the false teaching of our day. Because God isn't waiting for you to be circumcised. He isn't waiting for you to agree with the moral law of Israel. He comes to us in grace. And the Bible says wave upon wave of grace to rescue us. That's the good news that Paul is declaring. And it has been his plan for all of eternity. And God, as Paul says here, set him apart before he was born. That's the way in which God loves. He chooses those that will receive the grace of this gospel. And we hear it again from Paul to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, and with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. If you're not going to amen at that, I'm not going to say anything else that is going to outdo that truth. Right? Called from the foundation of the earth in love, he has adopted us into his family because of the work of Christ. Like this is our joy. This is good for us. This is what Paul wants the Galatian churches to get back to. And we have to ask, like, why would you want to move beyond this? This is really like there's no better news to be had. This sheer grace for salvation from God to us that he has chosen us and called us by his grace. Like, 
Yeah. That unsettles some people. And it's like, who are you? Like, this is such a gift. This is such an example of a loving God, the creator who desires our good along with his glory. And we should just uh, run to it. Yes. We go sideways just as the church in Galatia can go sideways because of our sin and our idolatry. And the truth was, like, did Paul get salvation because he was in some way pleasing to God? No. It was simply because God was pleased to do so, as he says in verse 15. God set his loving grace on Paul, not because he was worthy of it, but simply because God took delight or pleasure in doing so. Like, he liked saving us. Like, this is, woo! If you were Pentecostal, you would be dancing right now, people. Right? Trust me. I'm holding the pulpit, so I don't. And this is how it works for us. The way it works for Paul is how it works for us. This is, a God, this is, this is always how God worked. Right? So, oh, well, you've got to preach the Old Testament, Pastor. Yeah, were you here the last year and a half when we preached through Isaiah and we called you to justice and submitting to this God of grace and goodness above all things, right? We preach the Old Testament, but this is exactly who God is in the Old Testament. As Moses declares to the, children, or to the people of Israel in the wilderness in Deuteronomy 7, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord, holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure, treasured possession out of all peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you. This is always how God has worked. He loves, he gives grace just because he loves you. This is glorious. It's not ritual. It's not performance. It's not impressiveness. You are saved, friend, because God loves you. Period. And you have faith in Jesus because God loves you. You have been rescued from sin and death because God loves you. You say, oh, Pastor, God can't love me. I'm too broken. Shut your trap. Because your neighbor is more broken than you. You just don't know they're good at hiding it. Right? Paul is jacked. He's killing Christians. God loves him. I don't care how far off, how far gone, what you have done, who you think you are. If you are loved by God, you are saved in the grace of Christ. And someday the church is going to wake up to that reality. And we're going to start preaching to people like it's true. This is the grace that makes this gospel, this Christianity, stand apart from all those opiates of the masses, from God who calls us in his grace. This is the difference. This is the gravy. This is the goodness. These are the tamales you've been waiting for. Now I'm hungry. This is radically different from, the, from man's gospel, the tainted false teaching that pervades so much, not only in Galatia, but even in our day. It's just like, what are we believing? What are we reading? What are we sinking into? This is the radically good truth that shapes or is meant to shape our lives following Jesus. Again, from Tim Keller, he says the gospel of grace underpins every step of the Christian life. Paul will keep coming back to it, and so should we in our lives, our prayers, our thoughts, our witness, our preaching and teaching. 
And the gospel, he says, gives us a pair of spectacles through which we can review our own lives and see God preparing us and shaping us, even through our own failures and sins, to become vessels of his grace to the world. This is what's happening here for Paul. Not only is the nature of the gospel one of grace from this God who loves, it's not of human origin, but it's sourced in the God of grace. But this is also his plan on purpose. So that Paul will become someone, that he will do something. And this is our purpose then in light of the gospel. Because Paul here conveys in his calling what he's supposed to do. But I think he also reveals the purpose for all followers of Jesus. And that's to preach. Amen. Now, I don't mean when I say that you're to preach that each and every one of us should stand in the pulpit and talk. Some of us should, right, uh, for the good of the church and the, the good of others. But our lives, no matter who we are, are to preach the gospel, to present the grace of Christ. We are to make him known as our way of life. It's not just, oh, well. I want to make him known just Sunday morning. I got a good two hours, you know, before the Padre games start. I can be a real good Christian and preach grace there. But then, you know, there's no grace for the Arizona Diamondbacks. There's not really, but that's different. They, They can be saved and we can learn to love them. Those are Dodgers fans. Sorry, I'm mixing up my... But here, for Paul, it's a call in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Like, this is his life mission. And for you, friend, it might be so that you'll preach him among the mean streets of Poway, right? Or among homeschool kids and families. Maybe among parents in the disability community. To bring peace into the chaos of your office. Or just... To be loving neighbors where you are so that people would meet Jesus through you because you've met Jesus. And we know it's all this this call, this to this preaching, this life as a way of declaring the gospel is for all followers, right? We know the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus comes to his disciples and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethne, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Like the language there that Jesus is saying is essentially, As you go, as you live... As you travel, as you do your normal thing, essentially make disciples of people around you. Let them see Christ in you. Let them witness graciousness. Let them see the way in which you trust the Lord that they might hear of his goodness and meet him on their road to wherever. One theologian says, we are the best argument. Our changed life is our best argument for the truth of the gospel. It is our most powerful apologetic. Nothing argues more forcefully for the reality of the gospel. Nothing makes the truth of the gospel more real to others. Nothing brings the power of the gospel closer to others so they can see it and indeed touch it. Our life changed by the gospel is our best argument for the truth of the gospel. We are the best argument. For every believer, the call then is to bring renewal by sharing and showing the grace of God in the gospel. This 
good news of Jesus. This new kingdom is not about appeasing or behaving, but receiving and then exposing the grace of Christ wherever we are. That we would smell like Jesus. That others would know him. And God saves sinners so other sinners would be saved. It's the purpose of the gospel. Love the way that Paul will tell it to Timothy. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, as the worst person you could expect, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him to eternal life. Like this is this isn't just for Paul. Do you, this is for us. That's the reason you were to be saved. It's it's not you know Jesus. God loves you. You're saved, and it's not then. Okay, now you can just live your own little peaceful life by yourself. That's not the way of the kingdom. Like you're saved so that others would see that you're saved, that you would be formed into a family of believers, part of the kingdom that is advancing so others would hear the truth of the gospel and join the ranks of those that follow Jesus. And so Paul is living for this purpose and he's seeing it through. Like that's the story of his life. And he doesn't just preach and then peace out. He doesn't bail on people after he's dropped gospel bombs. He actually cares for these churches, and he's worried that they would forsake the gospel and desert God. And so he's challenging them back to grace alone, to the God who loves them. But while he has a purpose, he knows who it is that saves. He knows he's not the one who does the saving work. The same God who comes in grace is the God who saves. So the truth is, when it comes to saving souls, God always gets the job done. God is sovereign in salvation. God can transform lives against all odds. In fact, he loves to do so because it's powerful trip, like proof of the truth of the gospel. And then when it happens, we see the result. This is the result of the gospel that Paul reveals here. And he says, I was still unknown in person. Like they didn't know me, see me around the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So the church in Judea isn't against Paul's message. The false teachers now essentially have no claim that Paul was a variant to the gospel ministry that is going on. But more than that, they glorified God that he would use such a scoundrel to preach the good news of Jesus. Like, what's that going to be for us? Like, who's going to hear? The list would be long. Like, and you can't, you can't say, oh, Jonathan Schrader now preaches the gospel. You have to say John Schrader. Because I very, like, intentionally started going by Jonathan. So everybody knew me who, as John, would not know who I was anymore. Because I was worse than Paul. But that, that guy that was putting his hope in all these other things, mixed up with a bunch of crud, he's, he's preaching the gospel. He's talking about hope in Christ. 
Oh, he's doing it for money. Is he a televangelist? I'm not doing it for money. I'm moving into an 857 square foot house for the glory of God. Let me talk about provision. Mm. But what's your story? Old Jackie Schwander's preaching the gospel. She's been doing it for years, folks. She's not old. She's young. Right? Carrie Hardesty. Well, we remember Carrie. Christina. Mama Christina. (laughs) She took a drink of water. She's always been faithful. But now she's just getting it. She's fiery. She's dancing. Watch it. Bill. This close from being busted for stuff and... I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and he did. And God has been faithful. And that's the story that he desires to declare so that others would see the grace of Christ for them being through you. So your story, like, we talked about the body is honest. When we're going to get honest, like, some of you are going to go, oh, that's a pretty big, you, you were jacked up, brother. And that's like, praise God. He, he loved you, called you, transformed you by the grace of the gospel. And when that happens, when somebody sees the grace of the gospel through our lives, and I'm sorry, Chris, I didn't mean to make you choke. Are you okay? <laughs> but when that happens, when they glorify God because of us, then we rejoice, just like Jesus describes when lost things are found, when the endangered are rescued. Right? We hear it in his parable of the lost coin where he's, he's telling those that he's preaching to of that woman having ten silver coins. If she loses one coin, does, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek it diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, this is what Jesus is saying, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Like, they're not, they're not reserved, reformed people, right? They're rejoicing before the creator of the universe because one person repents of sin and is forgiven in Christ. Like, we should, like, our mission is to make heaven rowdy at this moment, right? This is the kingdom bursting forth, those that are set apart and called, living undeterred for the glory of God, because it's our good. This is where our hope resides. This is what relieves the worry of our days, what silences the anxiety in our hearts, what gives us longing for tomorrow with eternity with Jesus. It's the gospel that keeps us now and brings us all the way home with him. And it doesn't always make sense to us what we go through, that we wouldn't have to play a part other than bringing our need. But it is the most glorious truth that instead of just having a blurred vision to make us mindless workers, this truth actually gives us real vision of what is valuable and what is glorious. Because there is nothing to add to Christ. We can fall prey to the Galatian trouble and think we need to have our theology down or our behavior under control, but the gracious God speaks a better word. Come to the grace of Christ. You will be transformed. You'll have increasing displeasure with those things that you used to be bound to. He will work that in your life, but that's only going to be happening because he loves you. Nothing can rob you of that. 
right? There's a, a clip of Alistair Begg going around this week. Everybody seen that clip? Good. You're not on Twitter either, people. Come on. That's okay. I'm on it for you. But Alistair Begg, great preacher, but he talks about, like, if we talk about why we're saved and it starts in the first person, we have got it wrong. That's right. If I'm saved because I did this, that our salvation is a third person thing because he did this. He uses the example of the thief on the cross, right? Like this guy, he's, right? And Alistair says, like, I can't wait to meet this guy in heaven. And go talk to him and be like, you were cursing the Messiah. And then a moment later, you're in paradise with him. Like, how, what? And you're here. You're saved, right? And he goes on to describe the, the interaction as we can, we can imagine what it would be like is the robber shows up in heaven and the angel, like the hospitality crew is like, why are you here? What's the robber say? I have no idea why I'm here. He's like, well, you did, did, did you pray a prayer? Right? You, you, did you ever go to Bible study? Were you, were you a covenant member of a church? The robber's like, I, you should be. I, I, don't, I don't know what that stuff is. But yeah, why are you here? Like, and then he would have to go get the supervisor angel, right? To like figure this out, like, is this guy really meant to be here? Supervisor Angel comes over. Well, well, welcome to heaven. And like, let me ask you why, why you're here. He's like, oh, I, should, I don't know why. Well, are you acquainted with the doctrine of salvation by faith through grace? <coughs> no? What? Okay, okay. How about the doctrine of scripture? You know it. Or the perseverance of the saints. Are you acquainted with these truths that you have to have right? Angel would not say that, right? And the guy's like, I, I don't know. And the supervisor, Angel, is just frustrated. He says, why are you here? What happened that you could be here? And the robber on the cross, frustrated and not knowing what to say, is all I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's all we have to offer as well, that the man on the middle cross said we could come, that the God of grace would extend mercy to us because he loves us. And the gospel is the plan of the God of grace for his glory and our good. There is nothing better in life, friends. You cannot achieve, pursue, or seek anything better than Jesus and his grace for you. I've gone long enough. So friends, stick with it, this gospel. No one else can come up with more freedom, more grace. God really loves you. And get into community that's going to remind you of God's love for you. And the work of Christ is all you need for salvation, for life, for eternity. Be transformed by that truth. And then as you stick with it, make it sticky. Let others see grace working in your life. Tell people about Jesus as you love them. Be quick to repent when you do stupid things. And live with kingdom values. Endeavor to experience and bring the renewal of Christ in our midst. That the world would see who he is. Because the gospel is good when it's God's. 
Man has attempted to taint it, to rob the story of redemption, but the truth of Christ, of liberation, of freedom, the casting off of chains, of sin and oppression, is not of human origin. May we experience more of this grace that others would taste and see that the Lord is good for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we can't. We can't say enough about your grace toward us, the goodness of this gospel, of your life, death, and resurrection for us. Lord, help us by your spirit to be people that are gospel, that live quick to repent, quick to recognize your goodness toward us, and quick to declare it for all to hear and see your kingdom would grow, that your truth would go forth, and that you would be glorified because of us. Lord, perhaps there are those among us or online this morning that that's just a hard truth to swallow, that God really loves me. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would soften those hearts, that they would receive the grace of Christ that angels in heaven would rejoice as they repent of sin and turn to Jesus for salvation. Lord, for those of us who have come to Christ, embolden our hearts to be satisfied in Jesus alone, that we would declare him with all of who we are. In his name we pray. Amen.